Welcome to the Emerald City Sportscast. Wilson, it is he throws deep downfield. It's going to be caught by Metcalf for the touchdown. Hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. Here's the drive deep to left. He has done it again. Wow. Kyle Lewis, three games, three home runs. Mariners have a five-two. Brought to you by Hollywood and Vines Recording Studio. World-class audio recording right in the heart of the Woodenville Winery District. Wide receivers to either side. Russell takes the snap, drops back. He's going to throw down the middle. He's got a man. The ball is caught. Game over, Touchdown. The game is over. The Seahawks are going back to the Super Bowl. And now, broadcasting live from the Dan Cave Studios, here's your host, Dan Viennes. All right, everybody, welcome into the Emerald City Sportscast, February 24th. 2021. Thank you for listening live on the 365 Sportscast Network, uh, because that is the only platform that we're live on today. <laughs> I cannot catch a break when it comes to technical stuff. Um, uh, one week it's one thing, one week it's another, and this week it's that I couldn't connect to StreamYard so that I could do the live feed uh, over video. So I apologize for that, for those of you who uh, prefer the video version. But it means I get to, to wear my reading glasses, so maybe I won't screw anything up today. Uh, let's get to headlines. Headlines are a little unique today, but let's let Ron Burgundy get us into that, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. And now, here's today's headlines, brought to you by FreeBets. The newest online sports betting comparison site. Check them out at freebets.us. So before we have some fun today, Eric Briggs is going to join me, and we are going to do some hypothetical uh, Russell Wilson trade proposals. Okay, He's got one. I got one. Uh, we try to be as realistic as possible and have some fun with it because it's a story that's just not going away. And we'll address that as well. But there's really only one headline in Northwest Sports, Emerald City Sports this week, and that is Mariners President and CEO Kevin Mather resigning Monday morning after a video of him speaking to local Rotary Club members on February 5th was posted to YouTube. In that video, Mathers not only pulled back the curtain and spoke in detail about trying to manipulate the service time of their best young prospects, but several of his comments were just flat-out racist, too. Specifically, he insulted the top prospect, one of their top prospects, Julio Rodriguez, insulted his English skills, and he also said he was sick of paying for an interpreter for former pitcher, now coach, Sasashi Iwakuma, and implied that Iwakuma was overplaying his inability to speak English and that it suddenly got better once he said he wasn't going to pay an interpreter anymore. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this thing's been rehashed and, and hashed over the last 48 hours, Um but really, in, in 45 minutes, Mather managed to insult basically everyone, from the fans to the players' union to at least two different ethnic groups, his coworkers, other owners. This may have some legal ramifications as well, as the players' union is known for a while and has been preparing some legal fights for their next labor negotiations that major league owners have been manipulating Major League Service time for young players, not calling them up on purpose, even though they're ready, 
And even though they may be the best player at any given position because they want to they want to wait to start the clock for when that player reaches free agency. Well, now they have someone with a title, someone who is a president and CEO of a major league team speaking on the record about exactly that and admitting that that's what was going to happen. Um, here, I wanted to address this because there's there's been a lot of different reaction on social media uh, some fans feel one way, some feel another. Emotions are running high. And I want to try and cut through that a little bit, let you know where I stand, and hopefully give you, uh, hopefully illuminate a little bit of where I think our heads should be at. Let's start at the top. Mather's a bad dude. Okay, he's a bad guy. The shitty person. Really... He should have been let go in 2008. For those of you who don't know the background, he had three sexual harassment claims against him back then when he was more of a low-level employee. Those were settled. And then since then, he was promoted twice, ultimately all the way up to president and CEO. These allegations didn't come to light until 2018. So the Mariners... First under previous ownership, Howard Lincoln, Chuck Armstrong, that Nintendo group. But then John Stanton as well, when he took over a few years ago. Tried to keep it quiet and still promoted this guy. It's, it's, if you've heard of the Peter Principle, it's the idea that people ultimately get promoted up to the level and beyond their level of incompetence. I had a manager tell me one time when I was working my way up through management that the best way to get promoted is to be great at your current job. And I always thought that was really poignant and really spot on. But as I spent more time in management and got up to the general manager level, I saw that that there was more to it than that. That there are a lot of people that can be great at their job and aren't fit for the next job and shouldn't be promoted. And that's a hard conversation to have. People want more. They want to better themselves. Sometimes people aren't the right fit for the next job. Kevin Mathers is one of those guys. Okay, so let's not get that twisted. He had no baseball background, but there he was in front of the Bellevue Rotary Club bragging about his insider baseball knowledge Like he was a rich kid showing off his dad's yacht like it was his. And it makes you wonder, accusations of racism and sexism levied by former employee Lorena Martin three years ago that have kind of faded away. At the time, I was concerned about those allegations, that the brunt of fan criticism at the time was being levied more towards Scott Service and Jerry Depoto, who by all accounts throughout their career have shown time and time again, have a long history of showing their stand-up men and professionals. But now, I think we know a little bit more clearly where the source of much of this behavior and allegations like that came from. But just because Mather's gone does not mean this is over. And there's two points I want to make. First one, up to this point, John Stanton, as an owner, has shown a lot of good qualities. 
I know a lot of you have refused to even accept him or give him a chance as an owner because you just throw the baby out with the bath water, right? You, the Mariners have always been bad. This guy can't be any different. And then there's some people that kind of have that midway point level of fandom that's not, they're not really passionate about it. They follow casually. When the team wins, they'll jump on the bandwagon. They don't even know they have a new owner. And so they'll they'll say, they'll say stuff like, that's the way the Mariners have always been. It's never going to change, even though it's new people in leadership, right? He's shown a lot of good qualities in his time. I, I do believe he sincerely cares about winning. He's the first owner in Mariners history, history that's had the balls to allow his general manager to do a full-scale rebuild. Because let me tell you, when he decided to let Jerry DePoto rebuild this thing, that was with full knowledge that it was going to mean less revenue, fewer people in the stands, fewer jerseys being sold, because they weren't going to be very good for a while. That takes guts. But this is on him. As the leader of the organization, as the, as the majority owner, the spokesperson for the team, this is on him. And what was really disappointing is his performance at his press conference on Monday. And I've always wondered why I went to, I got a broadcasting degree, but, but public relations was under the same umbrella in the School of Communications at Wazoo. And time and time again, I see things like this happen, especially in sports, because that's where my focus is, where I'd, I kick myself for not going that direction. It just baffles me how over and over again, these, these athletes that get caught cheating, taking steroids, things like that. I remember the Alex Rodriguez situation, Tiger Woods to an extent, and unfortunately that I bring him up. Hopefully he's he pulls through his injuries okay. But guys like John Stanton, they hire people, right? They have a staff. They have PR people whose job it is to tell, to give guidance. Hey, John, here's what we think you should say. And maybe they did. And Stanton just threw it away and, and went his own way. But he didn't take accountability. He didn't stand up and say, this is on me. He deflected. That's unfortunate. It, it, his comments don't reflect the views of the organization. He was president and CEO. Of course they reflected the views of the organization. So this is on John Stanton. Don't get me wrong. With what I'm about to say next in regards to how this affects the product on the field, don't ever get it twisted and think that I'm excusing what he's done. He should have stepped in front of the train Monday and taken this all on his shoulders. I allowed Kevin Mather to get to that position. The way he deflected the question of would he have been fired if he hadn't resigned, and Stanton's answer was, well, I... I didn't have to make that decision because he did it for me. That was cowardly. He should have said, hell yes, he would have been fired. Not good enough. Should have never been CEO of this organization. So Stan's got something to prove. He's got some work to do, and it's going to take a while. Because the Mariners on the field are in a position in the next couple of years to win. And he may be hoping that that will wash all of this away. All this ill will will wash away. And to some extent it will. Some fans will forget. And if you win, they forgive everything, right? There were Seahawks fans who wanted the Seahawks 
to sign Antonio Brown last year. Just one small example. But he's going to have to make sure nothing like this ever happens again. Ever. Whether the team's good or not. No man or woman who behaves or thinks like Mather can ever be enabled or employed ever again. That's my first point. I hope I made it strongly enough. But number two, and I wanted to bring this up. I I think some people are afraid to because they think it will be misconstrued as forgiving John Stanton, forgiving Mather's behavior. What I want to say is this. Fans are bitter, and I get it. But this sentiment that this is further evidence that everything the Mariners touch turns to crap, that they suck, they've always sucked, they always will suck, is simply ignorant, bitter, emotional, overreactive hyperbole. If that's how you truly feel, maybe baseball's not for you. Maybe sports aren't for you. But by all accounts, the job Jerry DePoto has done in transforming the Mariners' talent pool and their player development program and leading that organization and rebuilding it from the ground up is remarkable. And he's done it with tact and class. He always thinks before he speaks. This will be a topic for another show, but I actually think they should give him the president's title. I think that's a direction he would have wanted to move in at some point anyway, do the Billy Bean thing. Elevate Justin Hollander to GM. In much the same way that David Force became the GM under Billy Bean, but still run the show. He's done it well. He would represent the organization with class. And despite what you think of Scott's service, despite what you think of his bullpen management, He's built a culture. Players like him. And they like playing for him. And he and DePoto were pissed on Monday. And they didn't... I mean, I'm sure they were trying to hold back. But you saw kind of some raw emotion from them and heard it from them on Monday in a way that they usually don't allow themselves to be heard. But those are good dudes. And they have a lifelong resume to show that what I'm talking about isn't just blind optimism. There's more young talent in the system today, top to bottom, than maybe we've ever seen. Number two farm system in all of baseball, according to Baseball America, two years ago it was number 32. It's being developed properly. Players get better. This is a team that has a chance to be a winner in the next couple of years and in a way that is sustainable. That is a separate thing from what's happened with Kevin Mather and the challenges facing John Stanton off the field. If you don't agree, if you want to lump it all together and keep banging that drum that the Mariners are a laughingstock, fine. That's your prerogative. I disagree. And I think it's possible to condemn Stanton for enabling Mather, for not sending a strong enough message on Monday, and to doubt whether he can ever fix that part of the company and still be positive and hopeful about what's happening on the field. And again, if you don't agree with me, that's cool. 
Just don't ask me for a ride to the parade if they win a World Series in the near future. That's the focus I'm going to have moving forward. Obviously, if anything else comes up, we'll address it from a news standpoint. But from this point forward, now that I've made my point, we're going to focus on the baseball part of the Seattle Mariners. We're going to focus on football when we come back. Eric Briggs is going to join me, and we're going to have some fun with some hypothetical Russell Wilson dueling trade proposals. Coming up next on the Emerald City Sportscast. To record your next musical or vocal project, why not do it in the middle of wine country? Hollywood and Vines Recording Studio is a four-room boutique recording studio in the heart of Woodenville Tourist District on Hollywood Hill. Within walking distance of over a hundred different wine, beer, and spirit tasting rooms, this peaceful setting offers a respite from the rat race of everything around it. The studio features 14-foot ceilings throughout and a large main tracking room along with separate isolation rooms for drum tracking and vocals. Featuring a talented crew of freelance engineers and an impressive array of industry-leading equipment, my friends at Hollywood and Vine Studios can assist with your audio tracking, mixing, and mastering pursuits. To find out more or to book a session, email Kevin at hollywood-vines.com, call 206-235-8125, or visit hollywood-vines.com. If you're like me, you love animals. I mean, you love animals. And if you're looking to add a new furry friend to your family, the best way to show your love is by supporting No-Kill Animal Adoption Centers. And the best way to do that is by checking out nokillnetwork.org. The volunteers at No-Kill Network seek not only to support No-Kill Adoption Centers, but help make a change by working with all animal shelters to change their policies and make sure every pet has the chance to find their human. And with the COVID pandemic, many of these shelters are full and these pets need you. So check out nokillnetwork.org for a list of no-kill shelters near you. And there's even a handy adoption pet finder tool you can use to help you find your next best friend. That's nokillnetwork.org. Online gamers, have you checked out PSX Extreme? If not, you're missing out. PSX Extreme is a cutting-edge gaming website providing you with everything you need to know about the latest and greatest games. You'll find up-to-the-minute news about the gaming industry as well as in-depth reviews of all the coolest games. The writing staff at PSX Extreme will also keep you informed on all the rumors about new games in development and impending releases. So if you can put down the controller just for a second, do yourself a favor and check out PSXExtreme.com. You're listening to the Emerald City Sportscast, presented by Hollywood and Vine's recording studio. And now, here's Dan. All right, let's uh, let's turn our attention to more fun things and bring in our friend Eric Briggs from the uh, sunny confines of his home in Arizona. Eric, can you hear me? You there? I'm here. Awesome. All right. So let's talk some football, shall we? I'd love to. <laughs> so we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and, and when I first proposed the idea, it was about a week ago, I think it was after last week's show, I was afraid that maybe um, – Maybe it would all die down before we went on and, and, and we'd be kind of we'd be playing catch up and, and we'd be behind uh, the curve a little bit. But it, it definitely has not 
died down at all. A couple things happened. Number one, um, Michael Silver came out with a report this last week that that over a third of the league has checked in with the Seahawks and whether or not Russell Wilson is truly available. Um, the other thing that has happened or not happened is the Seahawks. There's been no statement from the Seahawks. Pete Carroll, John Schneider, neither of them have come out and said, hey, this is all nonsense. We love Russ. We're keeping him. We're committed to keeping him. And that's not really their way. They don't talk much this time of year anyway, but I would think in this case that it would certainly be warranted. Um, and then on... Uh, you know, ESPN and their news cycle and their talking head shows and stuff. It was still a big topic again this week. So it's not going away. And I know some fans are ticked about that. And I get a lot of blowback on Twitter. Stop talking about this. I've been debating a guy for the last day or two. This isn't a story anymore. It is a story because people in the NFL, really well-connected people in the NFL, continue to say that it's a story and that it's not just smoke. There may be some fire there. If you had to put a number on it, a percentage... Even if it's less than 10, it's worth talking about. But what what do you think we're talking about here? The odds of Russell Wilson really being traded this offseason? You know, I'd probably take it around 15%. And not because of probably every other reason a lot of fans think. It's for one just very easy, simple reason. And it's just a dead cap money. I think that I think if there was not this huge dead cap money number associated with him right now, you could kick that up to a 50-50 pretty easily. You know, but because of that money issue, and it's, it's a large number. I don't think many fans realize how much of a dead cap hit Russell would be. I think that's what dragged it down. But I would still give it a 15 because I also think the Seahawks organization in general, you know, they're, you know, in some ways, Carol kind of likes to be like Belichick and that, hey, you know, we keep it in house. We talk to each other. We don't air our dirty laundry. Yeah. You know, how many times do you ever seen Carol? or Schneider or anyone else call players out in the press. It just doesn't happen. So I think there is a little bit of, you know, animosity built up between the front office and the coaches maybe with, with Russell just because his agent and his camp have kind of put this out there and, and made it an issue. So, you know, I, I 15% is probably a good number that I think that it's at. Now, I, I have read this as well. Um I can't remember if it was Michael Silver or if it was Peter King, maybe. But he he said, "Look, the Seahawks aren't happy with Russell Wilson for him for speaking out like he did, for being so aggressive about it, for steering these these pre-planned interviews he had set up for winning the Walter Payton Award into this other uh, self-serving issue. They're not happy with that, but they've heard him, and and so now what I think will be interesting in more of the long term is." Over the next, I don't know, let's say 30 to 45 days, right? Free agency is three weeks away. I think three weeks from tomorrow is either the day they can sign or it's the day the legal tampering uh, period begins. Um, We'll know right away. If if the Seahawks and other teams are starting to do this, we haven't seen the Seahawks convert anyone's bonus money or do any restructures or do any extensions while other teams are in an effort to, to... free up some cap space. If they don't do any of those things before free agency that allows them to go after some significant free agent players on the interior offensive line, which is where Russ is, is pointing his finger. And then, and then they go into the draft without a first round pick and without draft capital. And, and they just make these little kind of sea hockey, small sort of under the radar moves. Then we could be having a different discussion in June, right? Because, 
Because if Russell doesn't feel by the time training camp starts to approach that they've done enough to address his concerns, now you're talking about a post-June 1 trade, and now you're splitting that dead money over a couple of different seasons. It's a little easier to absorb. This thing may not go away if the Seahawks don't make the right moves in the next couple of months. Well, I think, I mean, you hit it right on the head. I think that actually will be the Seahawks' answer to Russell and his camp. And it's without them going to the press, it's without them leaking anything. That will be the biggest indicator. Yeah. Because remember, if they if they go ahead and free up cap space this year, what people have to understand is now you're starting to convert that salary, which is not dead cap money, into bonuses, which is. So they could free up a bunch of money with Russell. But now you just put yourself in the same position you are right now today for next offseason. Now he's still going to have this huge dead cap number because he took salary. And then depending on how much they, you know, if they gave him an extra year or two, you know, because that, that's usually what happens as well when they convert the contract usually gets lengthened out. Yeah. You're just in the same spot. You have this huge dead cap number because you convert all that stuff to bonuses. So I think that that would be a very good indicator from the Seahawks. If they don't restructure Russell, they've now made it known whether it's post June 1st or if they still do 2021 with them and see if, you know, the new offensive scheme, because they said it's going to help with our guys block them better, get the ball out of his hands quicker, et cetera. Maybe they still run with them in 2021 to see if that does fix it. Then if not, you've almost guaranteed next offseason Russell Wilson is getting traded. I mean, you can kick that number that we talked about previously from 15% to like 90% he's getting traded. Well, yeah, not just because they didn't address his concerns, but because, let's face it, if they don't address center and left guard properly this offseason, it's not going to be a very good season, in which case that you know they'll have to evaluate where they're at anyway. So there's so many layers to this. But what, what we wanted to do is because there's a lot of craziness out there. This all this idea for me started with that ridiculous Nick Wright trade proposal on ESPN a couple of weeks ago yeah. where he had the four-teamer where the Seahawks would have received uh, Garoppolo and a couple of first-round picks. Um, and, and Joey Bosa, um, Deshaun Watson would have ended up in San Francisco. And it was your typical sort of national sports guy take on something. He was very proud of it, called it his masterpiece. But obviously not in touch with how these organizations operate. There was no way that the Seahawks would be involved willingly in a deal that would land Deshaun Watson in San Francisco. Um, While at the same time taking Russell Wilson out of town. <laughs> exactly. With that, yeah, without a, without a more clear answer. And so, we, yeah. and then Peter King a couple of days ago did some mock draft scenarios in regards to Deshaun Watson. And he's a very connected guy. And so I, I think these could be viewed as very realistic trade scenarios. And it also gave you an idea of what Watson's value would be at 25 years old versus, and then you could kind of figure from there, okay, let's dial that back 20, 30%. Wilson's 32 and, and has some limitations physically compared to Watson, that kind of thing. So we have some parameters. So yeah. we both were tasked with coming up with what we feel is a realistic trade scenario proposal for Russell Wilson, hypothetical and and why it would make sense for both teams. And because you're the guest, I'm going to allow you to go first. What would you come up with? So I really tried to make this, like, you know, we agreed to, like something that's realistic, something you could see the Seahawks actually doing, um, you know, given the parameters that it's still not likely because of dead cap money. But I went Washington football team, and I went with uh, us getting Alex Smith back. Um, cause we also have to give them some cap relief 
um, for them taking on Russell. And I went and got us the 2021 first and second round pick. And then, oops, I think I wrote that down wrong. And then I got us for 2022, their second round pick and 2023 second round pick. Okay. Uh, and I think fair value. And the reason I'm going to say this is you can't take all their picks back-to-back years. There's very few, you know, Rams scenario out there where they'll just give up their whole draft back-to-back years. So I right. try to leave enough picks on the table for Washington, you know, so I spread it out over three. But I did realize the immediate thing we would have to have is we got to get a first and second round this year. We just have to. I mean, we only got the four picks like we talked about. Yeah. You know that if you got a first and second for Russell this year, that, you know, Schneider's going to turn that into probably taking it from two picks to four or five to tack on to the four we already had. So that's what I went with. The most realistic, it's given Schneider room in the draft to move around, accumulate more picks, um, and also getting fair value out of Russell because I think that's a fair value. Yeah, you know, I – um, I caught myself a couple of times when I was trying to figure out value. I caught myself assigning value to the fact that I knew that Schneider would take whatever picks he got this year and trade down with them. And and you can't do that. I mean, that's that's you know we know that's going to happen, but you can't you can't have that be part of the formula. You know, the Washington football team general manager isn't going to tell Schneider, hey, we're just going to give you one pick because we know you're going to turn it into five. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, and so in my equation, I know what we're going to do, but the value to me was if you can get a first from Russell or first for him and three twos, plus you can get a starting quarterback for the next two years because that's what, you know, uh, Smith was under contract for 21 and 2022. Yeah. So you have a bridge there, whether it's through free agency and we got aggressive with a quarterback that came available or we used a future pick to get us to go out and get the quarterback, you know, I was trying to give us enough time, you know, in two years is, is a, a long time in the NFL to either go get a quarterback out of free agency or draft someone, develop them and find out if they're going to be, you know, your quarterback or not. So yeah. that that's how I kind of came at that with the Washington football team. So just to recap, uh, the Seahawks would receive Alex Smith, Washington's yep. first round picks this year and next year and a second-round pick this year, and another in 2023. Um, yeah. Alex Smith with two years left on his deal. Obviously, the leg would be a concern, but this is intriguing because, you know, I've always felt that Alex Smith really fit the mold of what Pete Carroll's always said that he wants in a quarterback, sort of that point guard mentality. Doesn't necessarily have to be a superstar uh, with the otherworldly arm talent, but a guy that distributes the ball, makes the right decisions, the right reads, and delivers the ball accurately. And, and a lot of people may forget, but Alex Smith was actually scheduled for a free agent visit with the Seahawks when they signed Matt Flynn back in 2012. So Smith is a guy yeah. that they've liked in the past. We know that. Um, yeah, and I think when you look at Waldron and the Rams' offense, uh, you know, philosophies are going to bring here. There's not a ton of deep balls down the field, and I, if, if the one knock you're going to give out Smith outside of obviously the horrific injury, which is not his fault, but is part of who he is now, he's just not a, a real good deep ball guy. Like he doesn't have that arm yeah. like Russell does or Aaron Rodgers or you know some of the other guys out there, but. That's not what that Ram and the offensive philosophy is built off of. You know, they will take their shots downfield, but I mean, a lot of that is quick, quick hitting passes. 
you know, stuff over the middle, drag routes, crossing routes that he's great at. I mean, he can pick up a defense. He can read a defense. He knows where he needs to go with the ball. He takes care of the ball very well. Um, you know, so, yeah, I think Alex Smith would work. I don't – don't get me wrong, Seahawks fans. I'm not saying Alex Smith is Russell Wilson. Not, not even getting close to it. Right. But he would still be a quarterback that could take us to the playoffs in the Rams system. Um, and a lot and, of a lot of people would probably uh, react – initially with, oh gosh, with that leg, you know, you got to make sure that that guy stays clean. Uh, the Seahawks offensive line isn't that good. Well, Alec, one thing that Alex Smith does much better than Russell Wilson, as much as we all love Russ, is he gets rid of the ball quickly, and, and he understands that. And and I think within that Waldrum yep. system, you make some good, some good points there. Washington right now with the 19th pick in the first round. Um, I'm guessing, as you, you've already mentioned, but you'd if you were John Schneider, you would then try to get some more picks by trading down from that. Would you would you be targeting a quarterback in this draft? Well, I mean, I think that depends on the draft. You know, I think, you know, to point out a few scenarios that have happened, you know, whether it was the Packers or the Patriots in the past, um, or even what the Eagles did uh, this last draft. You know, if you got a guy and he's sliding and you never know when it's going to happen, you don't know specifically which guy it is, and all of a sudden if we were sitting there at 19, and let's say Matt Jones had slid to 19 for some reason, because um, a lot of people are saying he's going 15 or higher, I don't know if I'm trading out. Then it's, yeah, hey, you know what? We had a different plan. I would have liked to add some more picks. But, hey, if we can go grab Matt Jones right now, bring him in, let him see a professional like Alex Smith, let him see a guy that can run this offense and run it well. And then, hey, if we cut Alex next year, you know, it's not a whole lot of dead money. I think it's like $5.4 million to cut a guy like Alex Smith next year. Or keep him as a high-paid backup in case your, your young QB stumbles or something. Um, that, I, I would do something like that. Yeah. Maybe that's not this year. Maybe, maybe all the good quarterbacks – uh, that are worth the 19th overall are gone by the time we pick. And then, yeah, then Schneider's going to do what he does. And then you're looking towards 2022's draft to say, okay, let's go get ourselves that young QB. Or see what that see what that draft class is. I mean, look at Tannehill. Tannehill went to the Titans and turned his career around. You know, yeah. Mariota, you know, he's got a lot of interest right now. And he, he didn't even play for the Raiders this year, but a lot of people are like, hey, let's check in on Marcus Mariota and see if he's available. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's options out there. There's always options out there. It would make sense. I could see it making sense for the Washington football team because they that defense is so good, and and now that they have a, a coach in place, it seems like leadership is a little bit more informed there. Um, you know, all they need is a quarterback, and and Alex Smith ended up playing well after Dwayne Haskins was benched last year, and then he got hurt, and Taylor Heineke had to be the guy to to lead him in the playoffs, even though he played well in that playoff game. But you could see a scenario here with Washington being that type of team that, geez, a guy like Russell Wilson could put us over the top. That That's where I kind of struggled to find a fit is initially I started out looking at the Jets. And then mm-hmm. I and I, I thought that, now nah, they're, they're too far away. Right? It wouldn't make sense for them. And so I shifted to Miami because I think they can make a case that, you know, they've got a really good – thing going there with their culture and, and the coach they have in place with Brian Flores and and all the draft picks they've accumulated. They have they have um, a lot of good young players in place. They have a couple elite players in place. You drop a great quarterback in there, the the jury's out on Tua Tagovailoa. Um, but I just couldn't when I when I dug into it, 
I didn't like the match with the picks they had. Um, yeah. And so I went, I circled back to the Jets and, and maybe I, I was trying a little too hard to shove a square peg into a round hole, trying to figure out a reason they would see this as the right move. But there's a couple things. First of all, I just kind of want to set the stage here before I unveil the draft. I think there is a tremendous amount of pressure to win in New York. There always is. There always has been. And New York, the Jets haven't done that in a very, very, very long time. Um, but there's also pressure to win before the Giants do. I think that's important because the Giants under Joe Judge last year, down the stretch, played well on defense. Jury's out on Daniel Jones. They might not be that far away from, from being a pretty solid football team. There's also the, the shifting landscape of the AFC East with Buffalo being on top and clearly on top and Miami coming. They believe greatly in their new coach, Robert Sala. And, and they have an offensive coordinator in Mike LeFleur, Matt's brother, that, um, that they think very highly of. Um, Sala's put a good staff together. And they have extra picks. They have a ton of picks. A lot of them courtesy of the Seahawks. And so, yeah. and so maybe maybe they kind of owe us. Um, but they have enough picks that they can make a move like this and still have a ton of assets to address other areas. Um, and, I've, and I've crafted it in that way. There, people that think that, well, if, you, if you're going to trade Russ to the Jets, you got to have two and 23. That's not going to happen. The Jets aren't going to give that up. But they also have the second highest amount of cap space in the league, too. They can absorb a Russell Wilson contract and justify it and have it make sense. They also have the makings of a good young offensive line that they're putting together with Becton at left tackle and, and a bunch of picks this year. And I think they have 11 picks next year. So they have a lot of opportunity. So here's what I did. Because if I'm the Seahawks, if I'm trading Russell Wilson to the Jets, I got to have that number two pick because I don't have a second this year. Or seventh, and I don't have a third next year, like the, or a first next year. I'm telling him, if you don't want to talk about the number two pick, then then we're not going to have this discussion at all. So I've got him uh, sending the number two overall pick to Seattle and their first next year. Whether that's their first or our first, I didn't really specify. I think that's something that I, I would take either one, and then their second round pick this year and a third next year. So really kind of similar to the deal that you've crafted with Washington. And we did not compare notes before we locked these in, but then I've also got Sam Darnold coming back in the trade. So really, as far as assets go, very similar to what you've put together. But what this would do for the Seahawks, and just to point out a little side note here, both of these scenarios we've outlined would require the Seahawks to still do some of those contract restructures and negotiations and bonus conversions and things just to make these fit under the cap, given the dead money they would incur by trading Russell. Oh yeah. Uh, Sam Darnold's cap hit would be about 8.3 million this year. They could really make that work. My idea is, is this with that second pick, uh, imagine John Schneider with that pick, because that is really the penultimate pick in this draft. We know Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville with the number one pick. Don't give me any, discussion about they might be looking at other players that's why urban meyer took the job and he, he yeah he essentially has said that yeah um so the number two pick now is the one that has all the value for teams that want to come up and get 
Tyler Wilson or or if they prefer Justin Fields or if they prefer I don't think Trey Lance is going to go at two. But those are the guys. And so number two could be turned into just a bevy of draft picks. You could trade down when I did a bunch of scenarios. I got multiple offers that the Eagles offered um, their first rounder, which is uh, six plus their second, third, and I think a fourth next year. Like, mm-hmm. And then I turned that into – it was ridiculous what I was able to turn that into. But you'd also recoup a second-round pick this year uh, to go along with that, and you could do some things with that. It's a high second. And then next yeah. year next year you would fill in your third-rounder and your third-rounder. And here's the thing about Darnold, for people who scoff. And I'm not a big Sam Darnold fan, but he has a lot of the qualities that I think – Pete Carroll would value and I think would fit in a Shane Waldron offense. He's mobile. Um, when he's at his best, he's accurate. And you look at what he had to work with. I think people poo-poo this sometimes. If Russell Wilson had been drafted in the third round in 2012 and been thrown into a situation like what the Jets were when Sam Darnold was thrown in as a rookie with no weapons around him, no offensive line, poorly coached, poorly managed, he would not be the player he is today. There's no way. No, And no. so, and I'm not saying similar to what the point you made, I'm not saying Sam Darnold would be the answer. You would extend him. This is the quarterback you're going to build around. I would 100% be hoping I could get, could get a quarterback in this year's draft. And then, and again, the same guy that I kind of targeted, because I ended up trading down all the way to 24 or something like that. I won't go over, yeah. I won't go over that whole detailed thing. Um, but, but Mac Jones is a guy that I like in the middle to the late first round. It's a guy who's athletic and mobile, accurate. He's a leader. Um, he can throw to all areas of the field. He, make, he can make all the throws, played at a high level, um, you know, for the best team in, in college football. He's a guy that could sit for a year. It, hey, if he beats out Sam Darnold as a rookie, fine. Maybe you get a comp pick for Darnold if you let him walk after the first year. Maybe you unlock something in Darnold and he becomes the guy and then Mac Jones becomes a guy that you can turn around and get draft picks for in a couple of years like the Patriots did with Garoppolo and other teams have done over the years. So, you know, what you and I put together here I think are realistic. Um, again, I feel the need to, to post a disclaimer that <laughs> neither of us really think he's going to be traded this offseason. But the point that I want to make to people that are scoffing at this right now, maybe even as they're listening to it, the chance of – Russell being traded this offseason is not zero. Absolutely not. And I, I think that one of the things that have come out, you know, when you talk about the silver report with, you know, these are, you know, third of the leagues called, or, you know, when you have the actual talking heads, like you pointed out, Nick Wright, there's been a few others that have actually proposed some trades and such, is it's never zero. And I'm actually very proud of the Seahawks front office at this point because while some of the fans might be frustrated, they didn't absolutely come out and say, Russell Wilson's our quarterback. We're not trading him. Everyone stop calling. I know a lot of the fans probably wanted to hear that. Yeah. But as a true fan of the organization and realizing that we need to stop falling in love with these players, which then put us in bad positions, you know, it's like your guest a couple of weeks ago, Stanton pointed out, do you know how much money we're paying linebackers? I mean, yeah. linebackers are the defensive version of running backs right now. Why do we have so much money tied up? Well, because we love KJ and Bobby. 
Well, guess what? They've done a great job, but this is still a business, and this organization is going to exist far after them. Yeah. Same thing applies to Russell. Love him. You know, wants a championship. Was on a championship team for us. Got our first Super Bowl. Love it, right? But he's also now showed his limitations. He's also now showed he's moved into a different mind frame. You know, the last year in multiple interviews, which no one's brought up, but if you go back and look, he started talking about his legacy, what he's going to leave behind in the league, how he's going to be better than Tom Brady. You know, things of those nature where he says those things. Well, cool. You know, and if we can get a lot of draft capital back, which we need, because we got to get younger, we got to get more rookie contracts on our roster so we can keep paying our premium players. Um, that's a constant thing you have to continue to do. You can't just have two or three years where you drafted really well and then we're going to pay everyone that did really well for us. It, yeah. it just doesn't work that way. There's not enough money to do that and still fill out a competitive roster. So, you know, again, Russell being traded this year, not likely. 15% chance at best, in my opinion. However, not impossible. And if we want to get better and we want to get back to what, what wants that Super Bowl, highest paid offensive line when we won the Super Bowl, people, in case everyone forgot. Yep. That offensive line and that running game and that defense were all way more important to us winning that championship than Russell Wilson was. And that's the truth. Yeah, and I, we have to come to grips with that. That's why I think this offseason is going to be so telling, and, and you touched on it, but I think it's going to be a key. I still can't get over that they gave Pete Carroll a five-year extension at his age and, and with some of the questions uh, about how this roster is managed. I We're going to find out in the next couple of months what direction this, this team is going to be headed for the next couple of years, right? Because if they don't yeah. – and, and that's the thing. Hey, if Russell went on those shows and said – I want a bigger say in personnel. We need more wide receivers. I'd be ticked off at him. I wouldn't be on his side. At least he's saying the right thing, right? He's saying something we can all yeah. get behind. Yep. They need to be able to go up against Aaron Donald and the, and those guys in the division that they play six times a year and compete. And you can't do yep. that with Ethan Posick and an old, banged-up, broken-down Mike Upati. You probably can't even do it with what's on the roster now. You have to fix that. If they don't this offseason, then you know this, this idea that they never do the things that seem to be the most obvious fixes. They always go a different direction. I was just reading this morning, and this really made my head hurt, that they're checking in on all the tight ends. Yeah. That they're connected to Jonu Smith, who's a free agent tight end out of Tennessee, who would be expensive. They may be connected to Gerald Everett, which makes sense with the connection to Shane Waldron. But that they're yep. they're even looking at what's the kid's name out of uh, Miami? Is it Brevin Brevin Knight or or I'm, I'm thinking oh. of the, I'm thinking of the basketball player. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but he, he'd be slotted into that second round area. Well, the Seahawks don't have a third rounder, all they have is a two. You're going to take a tight end there and then wait till the fifth or fourth round to address offense. It just makes no sense that that would be a priority right now. Not at that level. Johnny Smith's going to make some money. Oh yeah. Um, and they've got, well, it's the same they've, they've got Will I, Disley no. and Colby Parkinson. I mean, there's pieces in place. Yeah. And, and you and I had this discussion, you know, obviously not air, but between each other, it's the same way I feel about when all these Seahawkers are out there. Oh, my God, we got to go get a number three wide receiver. 
And I'm like, do you realize all of the things we need to fix, offensive line, defensive line, defensive back, specifically cornerback, way before we should even be thinking about wide receiver number three? Because first off, I think we have some great in-house candidates, but we've seen it year after year after year. There's plenty of wide receiver number threes to go get, to get cut right before training camp or during training camp. Those guys are out there. Yeah. That is not and nor should it be a priority for the Seahawks right now. And if that's the key, if, if the key right now to the Seahawks being a better offense is a wide receiver number three, then the brain trust we have in our front office right now and our coaching staff are morons. We need an offensive line, and we need it now. We've got two guys that are not coming back, not that they should because they're not that great to begin with, but it's going to cost us, whether it's high draft picks or free agent and money, it's going to cost us. And trust me, if we get a better offensive line, all of a sudden that wide receiver number three that you find in-house becomes a lot better because your quarterback has time to throw. Yeah. You know? I don't care if we went and got, you know, Randy Moss in his prime to be wide receiver number three. If your quarterback can't sit back there and actually let him run a route and throw it to him, it don't matter how good he is. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even, you know, touch on something you, you mentioned. You brought K.J. Wright up, and he's a beloved player playing at an extremely high level, but he's he's flat out come out and said, two years ago I took a hometown discount to stay, but I've played so well the last two years, not doing it this year. If the Seahawks bring back K.J. Wright just because they love the guy and, and they have to make the kind of financial maneuvers that would be necessary to bring him back at a dollar that would hurt, then then we're in trouble. You know, we are. I mean, this I don't think people understand. And, and and I know a lot of people that say, hey, if you have Russell Wilson on your roster, this team's never going to never going to have a losing record. They're going to be eight and eight, nine and seven somehow, some way every year. I don't believe that because our division has gotten so much better and the NFC yeah. has gotten so good. And the schedule they're going to play this year as the division champs is going to be a gauntlet. I could easily, Brutal. easily see this team being f- 500 at best if they don't upgrade the offensive line, upgrade the interior defensive line, make some some smart decisions in that secondary. Yeah. It's a fine line. I mean, let's not forget the Minnesota game last year, one of the last play of the game on fourth down, the New England game with the goal line stop. There, This team wasn't that far away from being 9-7. and seven. Very true. And I almost feel like if, if we were going to talk in this way, I almost feel like this is the perfect year for us not to make the playoffs, for us to finish last in the division. Because we know the salary cap goes up next year, hopefully. You know, well, it should, but hopefully because the fans come back, everything, you know, although not at full strength. But the salary cap should go up. We have a lot more contracts falling off next year. Russell becomes much easier to trade next year. And it might be better for us as an organization to not have a ten and five, you know, ten and six season and make the playoffs. Yeah, or worse, you know, go nine and, and nine and seven or ten that. and six and miss the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah. And what happens is if we can't go and get these offensive linemen, and bare minimum, one of them has to come from free agency. Yep, has to. I mean, that's just bottom line. If not both, um, but bare minimum, one of them have to come through free agency. Well, you're not going to attract a free agent that's really going to be an impactful offensive lineman for two or three million dollars a year, people. It's, it's just not happening. You know, yeah. I mean, you're probably talking on the very low end, at least eight million a year, 
but probably more around 10, 11, 12 in, in the case of some of these guys that are going to be out there this year. So they've got to do a lot of stuff with their cap. Um, and you got to remember, we got guys right now, even as we sit here speaking today, I mean, Jamal Adams is about to get paid. Like, people better get their head around it. If we don't trade Jamal Adams, he's going to take a big chunk out of our salary cap. Yeah. So we already have to lower our salary cap currently just to keep some of the guys that we're committed to because worst case scenario, we don't extend him and Jamal Adams walks after next year. Yeah. And then we gave up two first and a, what was a third or a second and got nothing in return for the guy except for a, a number three comp pick the year after. I mean that'd be a, that would be like the worst trade in history for us if that's what happened. Yeah, and we're gonna know we're gonna know soon with free agency starting three weeks away. They they have to do something. You can't the way the league year works is you can't go sign Brandon Scherf to a free agent contract on the 18th of March worth at an average annual value of 15 million dollars a year, and then go restructure a bunch of guys and clear cap space. You have to have that cap space available. So yeah. they have to make some of these moves that we're talking about, converting Russell Wilson's salary to a bonus, uh, extending Jaron Reed, potentially trading Jamal Adams, restructuring a couple other guys, maybe extending Dwayne Brown. You have to do some of those things, and there aren't a lot of those things they can do. There's only f- four or five guys that it would make sense to extend and 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 save significant cap space this year. And there really aren't any guys on the roster that makes sense as a cap cut either in the way that Justin Britt did two years ago. And some of those guys, they're just, yeah. it would hurt that it would be a player that you, you would sorely miss. And so those moves have to be made in the next three weeks or they're not going to be aggressive in free agency. And, and, Absolutely. If, and if that doesn't happen, you know, we're, we're going to be back on the air here in five weeks to kind of wrap up the, <laughs> the first couple of weeks of free agency and if all the Seahawks have done is is what they usually do in free agency and sign a couple of little backup pieces, you know, and the B.J. Finneys of the world. And Brandon Shell turned out to be a good signing last year, but that can't be the kind of signing that they make this year. Um, it, yeah. ha- it has to be someone substantial or else we're going to be looking forward to the draft at that point, knowing we don't have a first-round pick and having multiple holes to fill and a quarterback that's not happy about what they've done so far. So this... This story isn't going to go away until after the draft and maybe not until training camp starts. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the only the only little little tidbit in there that can change all of this is with Shane Waldron coming up, with the their, their O-line coordinator coming up to be our run game guy. If you do have that guy, Simmons, Marco Jones, Phil Haynes, that maybe because they're changing something, all of a sudden these guys become a quality offensive lineman, then that that can change the story, that can change their plans a little bit. But again, even if they have that belief, you don't know that till training camp until right. they get these guys that would be the, had and see them execute. You don't know. That would be a very Seahawk way of addressing. Uh, this, now, I think this that's issue. what I get worried about. I wonder if <laughs> yeah. they're looking at guy, especially a guy like Jamarco Jones. I wonder if they're looking at him as a left guard, right? Going, oh, well, the old guys, just because you didn't fit certain things and, you know, the, the scheme of run didn't quite fit. But, oh, in our scheme, you know, this guy's a top five left guard. I, I could see the Seahawks making that fatal error. Yeah. I really could. 
Yeah, well, let's hope know, not. Whether Tim or Haynes or Simmons, you know. Oh, that would be their way, you know. And then you, maybe you bring Justin Britt back his second year after injury, and you say, "See, we're we're going to be okay. Um, let's let's hope they don't, or we're going to be or we're going to be having a lot more of these tough conversations." Uh, Absolutely, Eric, Eric Briggs. Thanks for joining me on the show. Um, if you missed the trade proposals, if you follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever, I'll be posting the graphics there so you can break them down and give us all the feedback that you want to. Um, thanks for being on the show, buddy. Hang on the air for a minute. Uh, hang on the phone. We'll we'll talk when we get out of here. Uh, appreciate it. That's going to do it for me this week, uh, February 24th, the Emerald City Sportscast. I'd like to thank Kevin Jablonski, Alex Moretti, and Jordan Van Beek for their support of the show. Check out Jordan's Twitch channel at twitch.com slash geekbeak. If you'd like to promote something or advertise within the show yourself and support its production, shoot me an email at emeraldcitysportscast at gmail.com. I set those up on a quarterly basis, so during March there will be new opportunities to be a part of the show. As I said, follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Download the 365 Sportscast app for your iPhone or Android device. Uh, or you can listen to the shows on the 365sportscast.com. You can do that as well. Also, please go to the Emerald City Sportscast YouTube channel and subscribe. I'll get these technical issues worked out, and we will be live streaming these shows every Wednesday, and they'll be available there. Also, if you miss the show or part of the show, or you want to re-listen to it because you think our, our proposals are ridiculous, you can catch it as a podcast on all the major podcast platforms as well. So that's going to do it for me and Eric this week. We'll see you next week. We'll be checking in on the Mariners during spring training, and I'll be unveiling my off-season plan, my full off-season plan for the Seahawks, which will not include trading Russell Wilson, but it will include some trades and some additional draft capital, and I'll tell you what we're going to do in free agency, and with those draft picks, that'll be some fun too. So join me next week, and remember, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're always right. See you next week.